1: Hey, friends. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. One of the gifts of technology has been the ability to listen to various Bible teachers from around the world. I glean new insights, I'm challenged to dig deeper, to ask different questions, to stretch or change my interpretation, so many things. Today's guest is Bethany Allen. Bethany Allen is the pastor of spiritual formation and leadership development at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. One of my husband's best friends, Josh, shared a Bridgetown sermon with us over a year ago, and we have been listening ever since. Bethany joins me and we talk about what led her to seminary, how she handles the question about women preaching in church, the support of her father, who is also a pastor, spiritual formation, and practicing the way of Jesus. I have a feeling after listening to today's conversation, you will begin tuning in to Bridgetown Church if you aren't already. Good morning, Bethany. It's really afternoon for me, but I just wanted to take a moment and welcome you to the Grace Enough
0: podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's a delight for me to get to talk to you. And honestly, um, I know that many of my listeners and friends are really excited that you're here today. And so take a minute, introduce us to you and tell us a little bit about what you do.
0: Yeah, I think I always think that's a loaded question, Amber. I, mean, I don't it know is. why. It, it's intimidating. It's like, what do I what do I do? Who am I? Um, it's a little existential, if you will. Um, yeah, so uh, I am actually we were just talking about this. I am a Florida girl born in or not born, but raised Texas born raised in Florida. And uh, so a little bit of the Southern context where I come from, came out here to Portland in 2007 to go to seminary, uh, not by a deliberate choice, but really by God pushing me Mm -hmm. to do so and had every intention to move back to the South and to be with my people. And then God kept me in exile and turns out it's a good, (laughs) it was a really, really good thing. Uh, Yeah. And then I was initially, when I started out at Bridgetown, the director of women's ministry. And that's part of my story, the evolution of that, and then became pastor of women, and then, just two years ago, became pastor of spiritual formation and leadership development. And so that really entails. And I'm still over women, so I'm still uh, kind of the first line of defense in the sense of like oversight and direction, all that for women's ministry at Bridgetown and for the development of women. But I'm also then at a church level responsible for the formation and really leadership development of our crew. So uh, that means all kinds of things. That looks a lot of different say, ways. That and- is a huge. Yeah. Yeah. No pressure. It's just. <laughs> 1500 people. and uh, But it's, it's an extraordinary gift. You know, I think it's, we're one of those churches that for better or worse, often builds the plane while we're flying it. Mm-hmm. And I think a little bit of what my role is now is that we've had a lot of, because we're only, you know, 10 and a half years old, we've had the freedom and flexibility to kind of evolve in these roles mm-hmm. and really discover what that looks like. So even still, I'm in that, that process of developing. What does it mean to be the pastor of spiritual formation and leadership yeah. development at Bridgetown? And that's a gift.
1: Well, tell us, how did you come to know Jesus originally?
0: I have really incredible parents. Mm -hmm. Both of them have they just love Jesus, heart and soul. Uh, and my dad's a pastor, so I grew up in a um, you know pastor's home. But it wasn't the cliche kind of experience. I don't think for I have two siblings, an older sister and an older brother, and um, for all of us, I think our experience uh, with Jesus has been really genuine because of what my parents did to teach us and to disciple us. So at four years old, I remember making a commitment to Jesus in my mom's in my parents' bedroom uh, with my mom, and I really believe that was the moment when I came into the kingdom. And I can't remember a time where I didn't let Jesus with my whole heart. I can't remember really a time when I questioned necessarily his presence. I think that had so much to do with my parents and their genuine faith and affection. So I know I'm giving them tons of accolades, but I think it's just a testimony to mm-hmm. the genuineness of who we are as parents. And though I'm not one yet, but that there's something really extraordinary about that, that has shaped my entire future and destiny. So, so well, not, I love that this story. This, Pure Baptist, Southern Baptist, walk the aisle. Did the- I just love it because, yeah.
1: because if someone who is listening does not know, I mean, you're not a pastor at a Southern Baptist church now, and I, that I and that is not, not a knock on Southern Baptist. Yes. That's just saying, yeah, right. I love when people come on though and they say, you know, I don't know a time that I didn't know Jesus because so often people take, we take that for granted, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. It's, a tr- it's a true gift when your parents are truly discipling you throughout your life, mistakes and all.
0: Yeah, beautiful. It, it is. Yeah, it's. I think we underestimate it. And far too often that doesn't get said as much as the other, you know, kind of massive, tra- you know, transformation stories, if you will. I think there's a lot of merit to just that slow, good work of Jesus in our lives.
1: Well, tell me, what did lead you to seminary or no. <laughs>
0: becoming a pastor Oh boy, what a question! That's a great question. Um, one seminary was largely prompted, like any good Bible college girl, by a, a man or a boy. <laughs> I had a friend, a friend relationship. I'm not sure. And you know, in the the uh, in the Christian realm, dating is so different and uh, dysfunctional at some levels. So I had this really Amen. good. Who, who I happened to love at the same time. Um, and he was looking at going to seminary. We were in Bible college together. And he just said it was, and really it was, a, I believe fully an act of the spirit and of what, what he could see, what God allowed him to see in my life in a way that I couldn't. And I remember he said, I, I want to go to a conservative co- or seminary and get my master's, but I don't want to do it in the South because we were in, we were really in the heart of Dixie at some level. We were in living in Dothan, Alabama, going to school in a small tiny oh, town yeah, called girl. Graceville. Yeah, in the panhandle of Florida. So it was, I mean, we were literally in the middle of a cotton field and that was our college experience. And he was just like, I want to get out of the South and really have this different experience to just be formed and shaped in a different way as a pastor, which I respect and admire so much. So he found Western Seminary, and I, I don't know how, on his journey. He came out here and he just felt so strongly. At the time, Western was offering the only master's ministry program in the nation at a seminary level. And he just kept pressing me to to come look at seminary. He was like, you need to go. You need to go. You need to go. Wow. This is right up your alley. And then bought me, it got so intense that he bought me a plane ticket and Coordinated with my dad for us to come out here to look at the seminary. So I came out here, did not want to live here, did not like it. I thought it looked like a circus. I could not understand this town or this culture. <laughs> um, but I was sitting in the office of the time, um, the director of the program and a mentor, and. Um, I just felt the Spirit of God say, I'm going to call you to Portland in nine months. And all that went topsy turvy with the guy. All of that went up and down all around. My grandmother passed away within that nine month period. My whole life was slipped upside down. I graduated Bible college. And so, anyway, I got here. I really felt we were driving out here. I remember it was a day after Christmas, 2007. Mm. And we got to like Amarillo, no joke. And probably by morning, you know? And (laughs) um, and, uh, I remember thinking, what have I done? I mean, I sold every, my siblings sold everything I had because we were in the middle of burying my grandmother and just kind of that process. I mean, yeah. we're in grief, all this yes. stuff. And it was basically like, sell everything you had. I lived in a house in college. And, uh, and then I, I was just like, I only have my clothes. I have my clothes and a TV and I've just left my entire world in life. And there's a lot that goes with that as well. But anyway, so I came to seminary and I cried for months, for a year. I think it was over a year. I cried every day. Wow. <laughs> Like God sent me back. So I wasn't one of those people who was like, I love it. I can't. And it wasn't the education I didn't like. It was the really the stripping down of what God was doing in my life. And it was a mercy. It was one of the most severe mercies of my life to be Mm. kind of thrown out here all alone. And he at the time wasn't planning to come out here. Our relationship really shifted. He was going to marry somebody else. And it was, it was a lot intense. Anyway, there's a lot of redemption there too, but but it turned out I came and God had me here. Really, I feel like my seminary experience had so much to do with uh, God healing me mm-hmm. as opposed to just learning that. So then two years after that, I graduated seminary amidst that I... I had really, you know, I, I came from the South and from a Southern Baptist context. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, I have never not been championed by any man in my life in the Southern Baptist context. Mm-hmm. Never once. I didn't have the experience I know a lot of women have. I feel like every man from the lead pastor, who was at one time the president of the convention,
1: mm-hmm. all the way
0: down to these men teaching Sunday school, I just felt like every man was like, What are you going to do, baby? What are you going to, you know? I love <laughs> Well, that. of course, seminary. Of course, you're doing these different things. And I just feel like my trajectory is so blessed. And uh, so much of who I am, so formed by and informed by the Southern Baptist tradition. And um, so I don't have any anything weird to say about that, except that when I came to the most liberal state in the union mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is when I experienced the most, quote unquote, discrimination for being a woman.
1: Really? And largely
0: that has to do, yeah, that has so much to do, I believe, with the culture of Portland being that the conservative Christian uh, realm here, there during the feminist movement, because it was so insane, yeah. had a radical response to it and said, we got to go completely the other way. Uh-huh. So you'll find in Portland, there's a really clear divide of most of the time you will see majority, mass majority of no women in leadership or ministry, largely because of that historical reality. So I'm in classes and men are leaving the classroom when I'm doing a presentation on the Wizard of Oz and culture. You know what I mean? No I'm way. like, what is happening? Because I'm at this this tiny Bible college and men are like, all right, great. like I mean, just cheer me on. And then I come here and I'm like, what what? What is happening? So it was in that season, God broke my heart and showed me really the systemic um, work we need to do as the family of God. And Mm -hmm. that's when I began to really consider what does it mean to belong in the kingdom of God? And at, that was when God just ignited this passion in me, and I had no problem. My intent, my whole life, was really just to to serve women in the church. I didn't, I don't have, I didn't have any ambition. I was never like, I just want to teach men, or, I mean, I just didn't. That wasn't yeah. my heart posture. It was really, and I remember in that season of of really realizing, man, there's such a discrepancy and, and really a lack, I think, of good theology and praxis in even the seminary institutions. I remember thinking, like, I remember God asking me one day and just saying well, really not asking saying Bethany this you can build a kingdom you have enough charisma mm. your hair is orange you've got a lot of things beautiful work well you've seen it washed today Amber, <laughs> and that's a miracle in pandemic um but really you can build your kingdom and you can you can have influence and it would be good it will produce mm. goodness yeah um but if you make that your ambition as a woman in ministry uh it will be limited if you instead yield to the reality that I am the one who orchestrates my people and brings fullness of the Imago Day, then have means you'll have to die a lot more deaths. And it will have to be your ambition is really the advancement of the kingdom of God at all costs, which means you'll have to bow the knee in certain places. You'll have to go lower in certain places. You'll have to withstand things that you don't necessarily want to withstand, but it will mean the expansion of my wow. kingdom on my terms. And I remember that that was the moment I was like, I'll do what it takes. So my ambition wasn't to become a pastor. I know it freaks out. Every Southern Baptist person, trust me, I go home all the time and they're like, what does that mean? Are you actually standing in front of a pulpit? I mean, I just had a mentor was like, I mean, tell me the truth. Is that really happening? Because I mean, none of them have a clue. And I'm like, yes, but it's different. So I want to just say really quickly, because I think a lot of times we get misplaced or misnamed, at least in the culture of Bridgetown, for sure. We start, I started out as director of women's ministry largely because we were hyper conservative, just as a Southern Baptist would be. When we started, our journey really was as conservative as I had known growing up. And then we began, I really felt like God said there was a timing to ask questions of our leadership. And really my heartbeat came from, my, question, my, my purpose in asking some questions of these men who I actually consider partners in the gospel really came from just this desire to, to see integrity in what we have claimed theologically as well as with what we're expressing ecclesiologically. So I just said, do we have integrity when you say men and women both make up the Imago Dei? is that true? Does our theology match what we're presenting to people on Sundays? And I knew it didn't. And I wasn't asking for the pulpit ever. Um, I was like, just get a woman up there to do an announcement. Gosh, dang it. They need to see that they are part of the kingdom of God and that they bear Christ's image. And wow. so they were like the next week they were like, yeah, let's do it. So the next week I was doing announcements. And the next week we were doing just different things, communion, different things. And it was a long journey to eventually where we got to the point where the elders came to me and said, we believe you have an Ephesians for pastoral gifting. You are pastoring mm-hmm. over half our church and doing it, doing it with all your heart, which is, was always my heart. It's always who I've been. And they said, we want to bless you in front of our people and even Mm. say to the women in our family – you have an Ephesians 4 gifting. So rise up and lead in the house of God. Now, there is a delineation that, that in some culture or where I come from, they don't delineate. In the South, they say pastor and they mean elder. Um, and I understand their exegesis of that. I don't necessarily agree with it. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily the end all be all. Or, and I don't mean that in the sense that I don't have a thoughtful exegesis of my own. We delineate between the two. So I am pastor, but I am not elder. And gotcha. I not I don't have that title and I won't have that title So just to be clear, for your listeners, there is a difference, at least in it's not the straight across the board. And I know that a lot of people would still be offended, frustrated. Well,
1: no, but I think that's where the line a lot of times comes down to for people who are actually thinking about what does it mean for a woman to have this role in the church? Because, you know, it's easy to just listen to a pastor and say, oh, this is what it says in the Bible. And then it's a different approach to actually break that down, like you said, into a pastoral role versus an elder role. And it can be very confusing when you're only listening to someone teach versus studying
0: and digging in yourself. Totally. Very much so. That's where a lot of my conversations come from. Well, what I love
1: to hear, though, is that you actually went to your pastoral staff just to ask some of those questions. And so you are a pastor In a very secular city, and you're this woman who's doing it. And so what is it like, though, to serve alongside a group of men who do look at you and value as someone who can teach the word of God?
0: Um, I think it really helps that I grew up in a context where my dad has always championed me. Um, My dad's one of the most humble people in the kingdom of God. Um, I remember him always saying, like, I would sweep the floors of the kingdom if I could just be a part of it. And um, that's that's really who he is. And I I think it helps, one, that they have always known, and I'm very, very quick to – to just want to outdo them in love. I think I've made that in my ambition for all people that I serve with, particularly on our team, but also our church. And so I think that's helped in the sense Mm -hmm. that I think they they at some level trust, not at some level, they trust me Mm -hmm. and I've earned their trust. And I think there's value in that with any teammate. Doesn't matter, matter male or female. It's really essential. What's it like? I mean, it is, it's not perfect. I I think that's one of the first things I would say. I think sometimes you can look at something so beautifully polished and be like, oh, this is just one dimensional and just and it's not and we're we're still we're in actual relationship and even this week we've had to have some conversations where it's like hey this is how that I experienced this and and yet I want to say that that the essentialness of of us flourishing or even making through this in a really healthy and beautiful way is that one we have deep relationship and we actively work on it Mm. um I have prayed every day for friendship and favor with these men largely because I I desire that more than I desire a place on on the pulpit I just don't it's not my ambition nor is it theirs they mm-hmm. are marked by these men are I always say to people people ask sometimes what's it like to work with John Mark Homer or whoever? <laughs> and i <I'm> have always like <laughs> all oh, it's inquiring like minds know. <laughs> uh, it's, you know and at the same time I would say to anyone who asked me because it's true he is just as as good if not better than you you think mm-hmm. he is he's just as godly and humble and and he's perfect no absolutely not and am yeah. I no but he is one of the those men I serve with are some of the most humble men I've ever known, and they are both my covering, and I'm not afraid to say that. That's not triggering language for me. They are my mm-hmm. advocates, and they are my friends. So I think is it. I, I don't really often think about it like, oh, we're all in the same tier because I'm also preaching in the same on the same stage as what I think one of the most gifted communicators of our time.
1: <laughs> so I, I just have to it. pause right now yeah. and say I 100% agree, and of course I was thinking about John Mark because I agree. I feel like he is one of the greatest communicators of our time, and we'll be talking about him in context, like here Henry Nowen a hundred years from now.
0: Yeah, he's a gift, and he is. There's God's anointings on him and his Mm -hmm. life, and I'm not saying that doesn't mean that's not true for all of you know for all of us in so many different ways, and it's all different. But I just think about it like. One, I have to think about it from a family perspective. This is my brother, and this yes. is a man who has championed me in a yeah. way that most men on the planet would never. This mm-hmm. is a man who doesn't have to share the pulpit. I mean – and I don't mean that like because he's a man. I mean that because he's gifted. He's so gifted and anointed. There's just – he doesn't have to, and he has deliberately chosen to bless the anointing in my life and to say go. And he doesn't yeah. – I mean – unhindered. And so I think it's been for me easy. It's been for me one of the greatest joys and blessings mm-hmm. of my life. And it's also one of the most empowering spaces of my life because all of them are my, they are some of my greatest champions. I love that. I know it. It's the real deal. And it's, well, amazing. it's just great to hear though,
1: because we don't hear, you're right. We don't hear those stories very often. And the reality is they do exist. Not just yours. They exist other places, too. They
0: do exist. They They do. do. And I'm hopeful for more. I'm hopeful that if God can do anything with Bridgetown Church and I'm pushing these men, I'm like, we can have a conversation about this that might help people. And I I know that's in their heart to do. But I I think just to, to see more and more of this reality and other churches or places in the kingdom.
1: Yeah. Well, how do you handle, and you already told us a little bit, but I mean, do people ever just say, because you're like, when I go home, they're like, are you really on the pulpit? But do they actually (laughs) just come out and ask and say, well, I mean, it's not biblical for (laughs) a woman to stand on stage and preach. How do you handle it?
0: Yeah. Um, that's a great question. Honestly, and I get the question. Uh, yes, I've had a few people back home. It's funny because they don't care and they don't have any context. I'm still there. You know, in the South, everyone thinks they have a right to your life, th- at least to where you grew up in a tribe. And that's how it is. I grew up in this church of 3000 people and everyone has, and I was a, pastor, a pastor's kid and I, everyone has right to me. And I like that. But when I go home, it's like, Oh, really cool. Pass that over here and help me do this thing. You know, like it's never, right. uh, I don't even think they're listening. So that's fine. And I, I'd really, It's fine. But I I have had a few, especially men that I either went to school with or seminary with or men I get to talk to about spiritual formation across the nation who are coming from more conservative contexts. I've got some friends of Chattanooga and... uh, Texas. Oh, yeah. Heart of the Bible Belt, girl. Yeah, where we've had some conversations where they're like, I want to ask you just at the end of the conversation, like, how do you get around this? And they're so respectful, but I could tell it's so awkward for them. And and the good news is I've really relaxed on it. And largely because I think one of the things I've set out to do from the very beginning, especially when I was asked to, to preach for the first time, or be called pastor. My dad has been an integral part of that. I want the blessing of my parents Mm. in those spaces. It means a lot to me. And I'm still as conservative as they come when it comes to that reality. I think it's really important to honor your parents, even in that space. So I've had their blessing and have their my dad's blessing and all that's been important. So it's freed me up really to come to a place where I decided I would really know what I believed theologically. And I would really understand that in an intelligent way because most of the time, like you mentioned earlier, people don't actually know why they believe what they believe. They most often depend upon tradition as opposed to their own biblical exegesis and conviction. Okay. So I don't go into those conversations very intimidated. I certainly don't take it personally because I think it's a fair question. And I come from that context. Right. I'm like, it's not like I don't know. I would have said to you in Bible college— Absolutely not. Like I know, girl. My view on it's changed sure. so
1: much since I was a twenty one year old. <laughs>
0: it's true, and I am not saying that's good or bad. I think it's really helped me stay grounded in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I'll just say, like, well, can I just explain to you my experience and my journey, and what I see in the scriptures, and what I don't see in the scriptures, and um, how some things to me as they were taught to me don't aren't cohesive. And then, really, one of the my things that I emphasize the most is the biblical narrative. And I, I'm not ever pushing, I don't have an agenda for, I don't need women to be pastors. What I do need is for women to rightfully have their place in the kingdom of God and be honored and not just honored, but seen as an equal vitality and, and really expression to the Imago Dei in the church. Mm. That's my thing. My beef is not about, I don't care, call him pastor, don't call him pastor. Right. I mean, I teach my women, look, if, if you get called to a church, there may be times where the Lord asks you to come under a convictional ecclesiological expression that you don't actually agree with 110%, but the Lord has called you to be faithful where you are. So you lean into it and you honor it.
1: Absolutely. And the
0: same goes all different ways. The driving force is the expansion of the kingdom of God. Mm. So I think for me, I'm like, I'm fine. If you land somewhere convictionally, you land true. I mean, if you land John Piper complimentarian, I do have some questions, but, um, but if you got there because you've really done great exegesis and you've actually, been in the trenches with people and worked out that you actually don't fundamentally believe that women can partner with you and it's better for the sake of the gospel and uh, for the sake of the church, fine. But if you're coming at me with one dimension of like, well, one time I heard John Piper say this sermon and that's all I've listened to, I'm like, get out of here. Because even women (laughs) women in the strong egalitarian camp, I'm like, super. It's easy for you to sit behind your computer and write a blog about it. But I know very few of you who are actually in the trenches, trenches partnering with men in ministry. And until you've done the partnership work, mm. um, and until you've actually put it into practice, I have a lot of questions about your theology and the integrity of it. Mm, so for it. me, I'm not afraid to enter the conversation largely because I've really worked that through, at least yeah. on the levels. I know, maybe that sounds arrogant. I don't even know. But just to the place where I'm like, I've at least worked it through in my own practice. And in our church, matching our theological, what we would say we theologically believe, and with what we what we see, what you see expressed on a Sunday, those things match up. And for me, that's where my conviction lies. So I'm never afraid. I really welcome the conversation, especially if it means people are really processing through it. But right. I, I really think- want
1: to talk about it, not just come at you with. An accusation. Yeah,
0: and some people do want to come at me, and in those spaces, honestly, my elders have told me from day one: you just say, "Are you go ahead and talk to our elders? They'd love to talk to you first, and then you can talk to me." Um, yep. Some men, I've gotten some, you know, some I can tell um, men who are just are unkind and want to put me in my, pl- I don't know, whatever. I don't even, and I just have to believe the best about them and go, I don't know if something happened or you were hurt yeah. that you can't see me as a person, but I try not to take those things personally. Do they wound me? Yes. Yeah. Do they make me mad? Yes. Do they make me sad? Yes, Yeah. for sure. But I just believe before God, I'm doing what I know to do with the greatest integrity I know to have this side of heaven. So, right. and I'm open. I'm always like, God, I'm open. If you have something else you want to do yes. in us or do in me, Okay. And that's Let's the go for thing.
1: It. I mean, the only person who knows Bethany's heart is God. And so, and that's what I always you know, at the end of the day when I'm wrestling through something or decisions other people make, I'm like, I don't know if someone else is right with God ultimately. Only God knows that. And so, yeah. You know, you have to wrestle through some of those things on your own, but Let's talk a little bit about spiritual formation. Great. Yeah, I know. Let's move on from this woman (laughs) talk.
0: (laughs) Good, yes. (laughs) What's next? (laughs) That's right. Just kidding.
1: How would you verbally describe spiritual formation to just a general person who, because people ask me this, like, what does that even mean? You know, it sounds so... I don't know. What would you say? Eastern? But it's not. What is, how would you generally describe that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think in in layman's terms and in like Baptist terms, and that's just like, I think easiest. It's really the realm of discipleship, what we'd call discipleship or, um, Yeah. Discipleship. Yeah. It really is. I think in so many words, it's the process of transformation and really the language I'm beginning to use is integration. So it's you becoming a more integrated being led by the Holy Spirit through the work and practice of the spiritual disciplines. Things, you know, and I think that we get intimidated by the word spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines or practices. I think that language is really simply again. It's broken down into what we all learned at Bible camp. You know, it's like read your Bible, pray sometimes you fast, sometimes you don't do a fast. Like uh, there's just these different practices that form and inform who you are. And I think it's, it shouldn't be, it seems intimidating because there's a lot of good work to be done here. This yeah. getting alone with God and spending time with him. These are things I already did mm-hmm. based on my upbringing. These are things I was taught to do. I was taught to read my Bible. I mean, I started probably in fourth grade. I, I can't yeah. even remember. i It was so integrated to who I was or daily just prayer with the Lord or daily rhythms uh, or actual rhythms of silence and solitude, being alone with God and experiencing him or fasting. We did that. I think there's just these disciplines that actually inform and hopefully purify and sanctify and integrate you into becoming who you were actually meant to be. Mm. They inform, but they also strip away things that are not Mm. who you really are and not who God's made you to be. So. I think it's a lot less intimidating than it sounds. It does sound great in a title. So there's that.
1: (laughs) Well, Uh, and so (laughs) do you feel like there are like steps to spiritual formation? Because this was a question that I, I said to my husband. I'm like, if you could ask Bethany anything, what would you ask her? And he was like, it's so hard sometimes these steps because it's not clear cut, but it's almost like early on. It is more of an outward focus. You're confessing Christ. You're learning these things. And then it kind of shifts to this inward journey. So like, do you feel like there are some steps? I mean, they're never clear cut, but you know, how do you kind of point somebody in that direction?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you're saying it in so many levels. There's the profession of, of faith in Jesus, and then it's really figuring out what it means to put his teachings into practice. It's that simple. I really think that's the starting point. It's like, I profess Christ, I know him, and my job is to really be in some kind of fellowship and communion with him and to to put into practice what he taught us to do. So in simple terms, which isn't that, I don't know if it's that helpful or not. I would just say, especially for people who are like, I'm just starting out. It's just really about creating rhythms, creating a space. Just like if you started dating someone, it's about creating a space to engage with that, to engage with God. Mm -hmm. And that can be through the mechanism of reading scripture. It can be through the mechanism of prayer. It can be through the practice of quiet listening and waiting on God's presence. It can be a lot of different ways. I think a lot of times we go, what's the first thing we should do or shouldn't do? We're kind of looking for a formula. But I think so often it's really just about, and and this is the hardest step to take, is just showing up, Mm. (laughs) really, really being, quote unquote, disciplined enough to set aside time to show up and then allow um, that to lead you into other spaces and places.
1: Yeah, and it's such a gradual change, right? I was just reading Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that portion where just the slow change. And so that spiritual formation, so often we want to wake up next month and be like, completely formed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When the reality
1: is that won't be complete until the day of Christ Jesus.
0: Often spiritual formation is the slow work of God, you know, is what language we use. It's a slow, ever evolving work. And at the same time, I always tell the, especially people in our cohort and other places, like if you feel like it's not working, it's probably working. And if you feel like it's going Mm -hmm. too slow, it's probably the right pace. And if you feel like (laughs) you're frustrated with the journey, you're probably on the right journey (laughs) because that is the way in which this works. feels like often feels a lot like regression, largely because of what God is doing in the deeper places than progression. So I think it's it's just a a slow, just like you're saying, a slow work that takes long periods of time. Yes. Can God expedite those things? Yes. Does he do it sometimes? Yes. But I think for the most part our journey is supposed to be long. Uh, It's long obedience in the same direction. It's what Eugene Peterson says. So um, yeah, it's that kind of mentality and framework.
1: Well, and my mother-in-law just this morning, she had texted me. I think it was one of the dailies that you had just been on, but talking about that, how easy during this pandemic it is to actually regress and not be surprised about some of those behaviors that you kind of thought you had mastered coming back. And um, because I had just posted something the other day, I mean, you know, huge fight with my husband and we're not, we don't really fight that much, but we just kind of blew up at each other. And I was just like, yeah. Oh, I thought I was past this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so that's part of the slow progress too. I feel yes. like is realizing mastery doesn't necessarily mean it's never going to happen again. It's a lot of yeah. times this, how do I respond? How quick am I yeah. back to this place of centering myself with Christ? Yeah, it's hard.
0: It- It is. It is way hard. And it feels discouraging in the moment because you're like, I thought we dealt with this. And then at the same time, if you I think if you pay attention, it's like, man, this is the grace of God. This is the mercy of God that he's bringing me back here to deepen the good work because he's after something more. And that's what I love about spiritual formation is it's this work of God that is actually deeply good Mm -hmm. and continually calling us. There's just, it's a well that never, never dries up. There's always more and it's, you know, and that can be intimidating. And at the same time, it's, it's um, a gift to us.
1: Well, somebody comes to you and they say, I, I mean, I love Jesus, but I am not. I'm just really struggling to connect with God. Like, what is there? Again, it's not a step by step process for sure. But what are a few of those first things you say show up? But yeah, I know me. I mean, sometimes I'm like, show up to what? Like, yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. But I mean, somebody comes to you and they're like, I'm just struggling to connect with the Lord. What what do I need to do?
0: Yeah, I would say like three things come to mind. Um, First, I would say that to them. I'd still say to them, show up. And what I mean by that is keep – I don't care if it sucks. I don't care if you're just sucking air and you're like, I just sat there for 30 minutes. There is something to me about moving my body, my mind, and my spirit and putting them into the presence of God and just saying I showed up for for 50 days. I just showed up. I created space. I gave you 30 – I set a timer, 30 minutes. I sat and I said, God, come do your best. Come do your good work. Come, if you want to connect, don't connect. Lead my mind to places it needs to go. Lead my, take me back to memories. Do whatever you want to do or I'll just sit here. And I mean, what's it going to hurt anyway? Thirty minutes of sitting in silence and solitude—it's not going to hurt anybody in our day and age. I so <laughs> I still say that, and I and I actually see it. Even if it never produces anything for you, it is an offering and an expression to God that you actually want it. Because nine times out of ten, mm. people say that usually. And I, I hate to say this, just from a you know from fifteen years of pastoral experience, being able to say most of the time it has our issue.
1: <laughs> There's oh, something for sure. else
0: in us where we're like saying, but God's not connecting to me. And the first question I have is, how much are you actually? putting yourself into his presence and the truth is we can say that with rhetoric especially those of us who are longer because we're good at like well I did I mean I got I you know what I mean and whatever like and when you really do the calculations you're like well it's like two and a half days total maybe um <laughs> in this week or whatever because um, we can justify ourselves so well at least I can um So a lot of times I'm just fearful. I'm not actually showing up to God's presence, whether that's emotionally or relationally. I'm more like, well, I was here. Where were you? But I didn't actually show up. So when we say show up, it's like just do the hard nitty gritty work of showing up. And it often means you're going to have to move through the obstacles of your soul, which is what he's trying to address probably anyway, to actually get to that place of showing up. Mm -hmm. So easier said than done on a thousand different levels. Difficult for me. It's probably more difficult for a lot of people right now in pandemic. There's a lot of traumatic responses happening. There's a Mm -hmm. lot. Of, of stuff going on inside of us. So that makes sense. I would also say, and I've said this to a few of our women um, and men, I've said, you got to try something new. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to. And it's okay. God's not this like regimented being that's like, no, nope, stick with the So sometimes it's like, listen, what do you do in your marriage when things are just like fuddy duddy? It's like, we got to try something new. Like we can't keep going to the same Mexican restaurant. We got to go, we got to switch it up Italian or whatever you married people do. I don't know, but I would imagine that you're, you're having to switch it up. So if, if, Your normal type of prayer isn't connecting. Try something different. If, you know, we have a tool belt of these spiritual disciplines that we access in different seasons and we need them and we'll need them in different moments in time. And so it's like, so for us, like this season as a church, we're committing to fasting. Like, that's good for me. Do I regularly fast? Eh, I mean, I could, I could schmooze it to where I'd say, yeah, I regularly fast. And yet in this season, I've needed it. And largely I've needed it not just for God's, you know, for us to be like, oh, we're doing as a church I've needed it because I need to do that with my body in this space of trauma. Mm. It is good for me. So I'd say try something new. And then finally, I would say sometimes you need help. Yeah. Sometimes you need a priest. And I think that's okay. There's a priestly role that pastors and spiritual directors and friends and mentors play for us. So a lot of times, especially if I have friends who are really struggling, I can bring them into the presence of God through Mm -hmm. prayer by being with them. And that's my job as a pastor, is really to connect people to the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes you just need help. On top of all those things, you need a spiritual director, you need whatever, whoever your kind of person is to help lead you in those spaces. And it's not... A shameful thing. We mm-hmm. all need it. It's what we get really by proxy through sermons and um, worship and all those other things. So, but sometimes you need something really specific and tangibly tangible to get you into those places. So those are my three big thoughts. Again, like you said, it's right. not prescriptive, right. any stretch of the imagination, but I think sometimes those things are helpful. I think we forget them sometimes yeah. too.
1: Well, and how a connecting to God truly is training. I mean, so often it's so easy to view it as oh, again, I'm just going to show up and everything's going to change. It's not because God's not there. It's so right. often, like you said, it's our own training of just entering into the discipline first, which may be for you that you need to set the you know timer that I'm going to be here at one o'clock every day for 30 yep. minutes. That does not mean that's what everybody has to do to meet with God. But that that's does right. mean that if you're struggling with the training of it, then you have to set some really hard and strict boundaries in your life just to get there.
0: Yeah, totally. And it, it it's really it's put your money where your mouth is. Yes, like it it's is. really a moment where a lot of times people are asking that question and I'll just I mean I said it before, nine times out of ten they haven't done that. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> nine times out of ten we and I say they, we, I haven't yep. a lot of times I'm like, where are you? I'm like pissed at God and I'm like Me, i mean you haven't even spoken to me i mean you know because i consider us in this marriage and i'm like excuse me like i haven't gotten flowers in so long or whatever like you don't even care (laughs) and he's like you haven't offered me anything either (laughs) well yeah and you haven't you didn't even open the door they're standing they're sitting right there you missed them they're dead now because they were here for a week and you didn't Mm. touch them like so often and i don't he's not that aggressive i am and um but he (laughs) there's a tenderness where i'm like man He's so much better. And I know we say this all the time, but he's so much better than we expect him to be. Yes, I, in this marriage, I'm never the right one. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to remind myself, like he's not the wrong one. Mm. It's just, there are some vehicles. And sometimes I need to say, I need to, I need you to help me get to you. Yeah. Oh, I need you yeah. to help me. And maybe I need this season of space and you're doing this on purpose, but I need to see why, or I need to hear why, or I need to see your goodness in it, or I just need to see your presence in it or whatever. And I think, Those are very fair prayers to pray. I think he's up for meeting us in those spaces. Absolutely.
1: Well, some language you guys use at Bridgetown that really has had a significant impact on my walk with Jesus is just this idea of practicing the way of Jesus, um, being an apprentice of Jesus. And so, you know, I had said to you in my email, like, I don't have a specific question really about that as much as I just want you to talk about it a little bit and you know, how that language came about um, and what you really mean by that.
0: Yeah. um, This language came largely from John Mark, obviously. And um, back in the day, he had this Friday night worship thing that happened. It's really how Bridgetown got planted called The Way is what it was called. And uh, that came from this, uh, from all the New Testament language around first, really the first apostles and um, the starting of the first kind of regime of the church and how they call it the way and that implicates all these realities of disciplines of really figuring out what it means to put into practice Jesus's teachings to love him to do all these so there's all these like beautiful realities part of the way so we use practicing the way uh, that was a funny discussion where it was like can we just call it the way we were like no um but it's really practicing really what we're saying is practice the life and teachings of Jesus so we use this language on Sundays we say really our goals are to be with Jesus to become like him and to do what he did in the world, which again is... Kind of made probably redundant language, but that's really what we mean by practicing the way is to be with Jesus and to really lean into what that means and to offer practices or disciplines around that. What does it mean to be with him, to become like him? So to be transformed by what we're actually encountering in our times with him, and then to put into practice to do what he did in this world and to be agents of the gospel, to be agents of reconciliation, to be agents of healing, um, to be deliverers, to be all these things, wounded healers, all these things that we're just wanting to see God do. So that's kind of our framework for at least practicing. Practicing um, the way the apprenticeship to Jesus language, we just thought was more helpful. John Mark has a disdain, and it's and not a disdain. Maybe that's strong language. <laughs> I don't know that he'll ever listen to this, but um, <laughs> he has a he doesn't like what what disciple or discipling people like that as a as a verb, um, largely because he thinks it's confusing and it's putting the onus on the person that people are following as opposed to Jesus. So we very quickly, you know, I, it was a massive shift for me as a Baptist because you just say you're discipling people. You're, you know, whatever. Uh, that was kind of my working language, but he really, sees that as like, it needs to be centered on Jesus and not on a person. And that comes probably largely from his church history and other things as well. And it makes mm-hmm. sense, which is why we've said you are an apprentice of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus. Um, and you can be mentored or, you know, shaped and formed or spiritually formed by other people or helped along the way. But we really want the emphasis and onus to be on Jesus as opposed to another person. So that's kind of where that, that comes from.
1: Well, and I'd It's almost like what you said earlier about sometimes you just kind of have to change what you're doing. And I mean, my church culture is also the word disciple, like I know what that means, but it's sometimes language gets watered down because we use it and we actually don't see happening what should be happening in the true way of discipleship, right? So you're going into church, you're saying we're discipling, but then you're not seeing like true transformation. So I think that's what happened to me when I heard the language, apprentice of Jesus, it was just like, oh, that gives me a different word to put there that makes more sense because I know exactly what an apprentice does. You're under someone, you're studying what they do so that one day you can go out and do that. And so I think that change in language is actually brilliant, to be honest, because we just, if you've been ingrained in church culture, sometimes it has a bad rap.
0: Yeah, and I think you're, you know, yeah, you're actually painting a picture for what it looks like as opposed to this ambiguous. And even if someone was, and we have a lot, and this is a part of our context too, we just have a lot of people who just, I mean, it's hard to understand. I mean, it was hard for me to them. No context for the church. No context for the gospel. No context for anything. We are in the super most unchurched city in the nation, blah, 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 and yet we believe God's doing revival and good work here. But you're having to also paint a picture in a new way that isn't weird. Like, you say disciple, and someone on the street's like, what the heck are you talking? I mean, they would probably connect it maybe to Jesus or to the famous paintings they've seen of the disciples or whatever, but no real actual understanding of it. And we just wanted to make it really clear. This is what we mean, and this is what we're trying to say. So, yes, yes. to your point, that's that was part of our ambition as well.
1: That's awesome. Well, I love it. Well, as we close up the show, I'm just going to ask um, a couple of questions and then we'll be done. Of course, I always end up over talking, so maybe I'll just ask the no, I last think I talked one. a lot. That was <laughs> okay, it was fantastic. I love that's why I love podcasting. I can just talk to people about their life stories forever. So, um, as we close up, I know you're not married yet, but if you had the opportunity later on down the line to sit down with your great grandchildren and offer them some wisdom. What is something yeah. you feel like you'd really like to share with them?
0: Yeah, I mean when I read this question I was like, whoa. And I told my I called my sister, I was like, this is an intense question. Um <laughs> I guess it, it, it's, it's not one that was is far fetched from my mind in the sense that I so hope for that reality and largely I think about my nieces and my nephew and these younger really these younger women in our church who will who will become mothers in the house of God as well. And in the role that I'm in I've had the opportunity really to I, I don't often think about what I'm doing. I think about the woman who will be here you know, mm. I hope I'm here 20 years from now, but I, I do think about the woman who's here 30, 40 years from now and who gets to stand on whatever was built. And I think about her a lot and I get excited about her freedoms and liberties and her, her pathways that are much wider than mine. I had a mentor during seminary. She's brilliant. She's wonderful. She's retired now. She's one of these women in the kingdom who wears like a sweater set, but is like
1: oh, so yes. ninja.
0: Yes. yes out here like saying dropping wisdom like holy cow so she said to me very early on bethany to be a woman in ministry you're gonna have to be shrewd as a viper and gentle as a dove Mm. and i have taken that to heart and not in a she wasn't saying that in like a so get gritty and like you know with the most humility and she's a woman more humility she just said you're gonna have to be shrewd and strategic But you're also going to have to be gentle like Jesus, like Mm -hmm. in this effect. And those things, you have to actually cultivate both of those things. Those aren't things that you come by naturally. Right. So, really, she was calling me to a, a life that would produce these things in me for the sake of the kingdom. So, I think that there would be part of wisdom that I offer is that to my uh, grandchildren. And then I, I think, keep thinking about this line um, from John Wesley at the end of his life where they, we think he said, best of all, God is with us. Today, that when I was thinking about your question again, like, I really think above all of the strategic stuff I could say or whatever, I think the legacy of our family, what has been and what I would hope passes down is that the best thing in our life is that Jesus was with us. And for me, it is everything. He is yes. everything to me. And and so I think I would want them to, best of all, it's the best thing in the world that he is with us. Oh, yes. um, so that's what I would give them and bless them with and, and hope that they carry forward to, to their people as well, to our tribe, whatever that means.
1: That's right. Well, Bethany, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I am so grateful for this conversation.
0: You were such a delight. You were wonderful. I just I feel honored that you would even get to talk to me. I really do. So thank you for your time and thoughtfulness and just the gift of getting to be here with you.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Resources, links, and quotes from today's conversation can be found at com under the show notes tab. If you're enjoying the show, I would like to ask you a few favors. Number 1, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. You can head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. Number two, if you enjoy the show, would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me to know how the show is impacting you. And number three, the best way to grow is for people like you to share it with your friends. Will you share your favorite Grace Enough podcast episode via text, email, or social media? Again, I'm so grateful for each one of you who listen week in and week out. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.